Welcome to the Rit Nerds Podcast, Episode 2, with your hosts, Ron, Nathan, Chad, and Jim. On this episode, you'll hear a roundtable discussion between the four of us, where we start off talking about packaging down firefighters, and like so many of our conversations in the past, we delve into a number of different topics and down a few rabbit holes. Thanks for listening, and enjoy. So the first question that we are going to talk about was packaging. What is the difference between taking your time to package, to speed up an extrication versus the just grab and go? Uh, how do we find that balance and speed versus efficiency? Um, so we sort of broke that down into a couple of different questions. First being, uh, so first off, like why is packaging important? Who wants to take it? I mean, I'll, I'll hop on if, if, if that's all right. Um, I think regardless of whether we have to travel a long ways or if we have to travel at all in any instance I think it's a moot point I think you know the very minimum a, a package should be completed as far as what we know to be like traditional package if that's the case um, and that's that's broken down to even like the lowest skill level because we don't we know who our A players are usually on the fire ground and we know who our second third string players are on the fire ground right but even a bare bones skill of three simple steps of like, okay, we're going to locate the buckle. Now I'm going to intertwine the buckle between someone's legs and I'm going to rebuckle the buckle, right? Like it's so easy. A caveman can do it. Um, right. But regardless of whether we have to, Hey, let's move out this way. It's going to be like five steps or, Hey, we know we're going to have to go back through the entire hallway. We just came through where we have a truck crew an engine crew flowing lines, all that mess. I still think it's an advantageous thing to do because what if we go to travel five feet this way and there's a collapse or we have heavy fire above and now we got to reroute our position or we got to reroute our travel um, and it is going to take a longer time. And then now you're thinking, well, crap, if we would just sort of package in the first place, you know, maybe we wouldn't be in this spot. So I, I think as many people, as many hands on you're going to have on the, on the Mayday fireman, um, you're there. Why not? Is my is my line of thinking um, because that's always our go-to. Like what we identify, we silence pass, we radio command, we check air. We got all these people doing all these things. We got a guy on the airbag. Um, someone else should be converting mayday firemen, right? Um, if not, you and you have a four-man crew. You know, you think about it in terms of officer's got the tick. He's ready on back. Command know what it got. Airbags doing his air thing. You got a guy assessing the face, right? Silence in the pass. And then maybe a guy making him way down to uh, to lower level um, for legs, getting ready position. Um, that, that leaves everybody working, right? So we say we're going to forego packaging in any instance. Um, working, or maybe you know two guys aren't working. Um, I just think it's always a smart thing to do, regardless if you're going to need it or not. Um, you have it done. And in my experience, it's better to have something and not need it versus, um, man, I really wish I had you know done this, and then now we're sitting there like. You know, wish wish I could have done that, but uh, we're in a crappy place. So, I don't know. That's just my take on it. I mean, you're already there. Why not? So. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. Yeah. I think when you get, like, you might have a flashover condition or something like that, then, then you might be those rare cases where you don't have time to package because of safety. But that being said, I'm not dragging them all the way outside the building because of those situations. I'm just taking them to a place where I can then package them safely to continue the extrication sure right and and uh, one absolutely I mean, yeah stats as you guys know i like my numbers i mean i look at the fact that don abbott's project mainly we got one in eight rent members calling a mayday you look at any of the studies that have been done you have anywhere between 20 and 38 percent of rent members calling a mayday and of all those over 80 percent of those are air issues because the rent members are using way more air then they're prone to using in the normal fire activities and they're not used to training probably at that level of air consumption. So their bottles aren't lasting what they think. And one thing I always like to do when I show people packaging is I'll just get a student to sit down and, and lift them up by their shoulder straps. Inevitably I've squatted down with my legs, my legs become fully extended. And by the time I'm actually taking any of the person's weight, I'm bending trying to curl them up with my arms. There's about a, four inch gap between the shoulder yeah. and the shoulder strap. Put them down, package them. Now when I go to lift them, 
once I've straightened my legs, I haven't even bent my arms yet, they're already lifted up off the ground. There's no gap between the shoulder and shoulder straps. It creates way more efficiency in movement. Yeah. It's going to lower my air consumption by making that whole extrication way more efficient. And therefore we can start to eliminate that 20, 38% of RIP members calling their own mate, right? And that's where it comes in huge to me. Right. So I agree with you, Chad, if you've got the 10 seconds, to package somebody then totally especially yeah. if you're doing any distance any lift any high sills window sills anything like that you're lifting somebody out of then that uh, is a huge huge point because you look at it we're not asking you to do a math equation where or rocket science or brain surgery i'm literally asking you to unbuckle move a leg buckle right um so and I think another thing that goes into this is because, like, if you look at places like FDTN, Breathing Equipment School, um, a lot of other different survival schools and instances, um, if you forego the packaging, I never forget, like, when I went through recruit school in Charlotte, we had to get my training instructor through a gauntlet through survival school for a RIT week, and he was not packaged correctly. And when we got him out of a box, a low profile, um, you know, up and over type thing, I remember when I got down there to him, he wasn't just, you know, air pack off of him. He was practically undressed, right? So if we forego the packaging of any type, right, um, what is that also snowball effect to, right? Air, right? Like I had, a, I think I sent it to you, Nathan. It was more importantly, air, air consumption should not be interrupted for any means. If we forego that packaging, we know if we go to pull that air pack, arms fill out, right? And it's just easy on off. Right, it, it could go that route, uh, and then what it would lead to? Well, now I got to put Ron's air pack back on in a crappy, you know, environment where I can barely see, and everyone's jacked up, and I got the bossy on at me, and then we throw in the well, we have interior crews making their way to the mayday now, and so everybody wants to get hands on. We've talked about that before. Um, so, like I said, if you've got the time, five to ten seconds, by all means, you know, you know efficiency of movement, and it keeps it doesn't interrupt. Um, the possibility of interruption for air supply for the Mayday fine. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's situation dependent, right? Like, if, if we show up and he's in the first room on the left as soon as we enter the door, if we could just manhandle him, right? Mm -hmm. Why would I try to take those extra time to make a simple maneuver not really be beneficial only 10 feet? But then again, right. I, go, well, I agree with that. Absolutely. I go back to the Scafani fire in 2005. You know, you play devil's advocate. Yeah, it, you're saying it could be easy, but then yeah. we had an actual line of duty where it, it's been hard. Um, yeah. I think, like you said, you know, doing that conversion is key because trying to hit on the numbers Nathan brought up, we're we're now teaching crews that first RIT team gets to the page or to the victim, converts them, gets them on air tries to move them, and then basically is backing up for a second RIT team to come in, hopefully. Right. And that, they're even tying up the, you know, that fireman or area around that fireman. Right. And then are you, are you reaching resetting off the pass to follow, yes. have that before you yeah. leave? Yeah. So, you know, we, we, we use a, um, a search line, if you will. I call it a highway line. You know, yeah. It's the highway right to the patient or victim, if you will. So, but honestly, you know, like, messing around with James's strap, I would forego converting the FCBA waist strap at all. You know, if you have that strap there, you know, we put it through probably 320 uh, evolutions and it was just it was so much faster and so much more efficient yeah. than doing the buckle. So, but that, you know, if you have that available, but if not, right. I think the, we should be setting ourselves up for packaging no matter what. Yeah. And, and I yeah. like, and I like, I don't mean to cut you off, James, uh, but like when you go back to like, you were talking about like maybe like 10 feet or five feet in the door, like I even think like the quick pick is a viable option too because we're not grabbing air, we're not potentially taking air, air supply away, you know, right. legs, right? Um, but, but no, that's crazy. Uh, about the um, three steps in and he comes out naked. That's yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm sure it was a little farther than that, but 
you know, oh, sure. when, you, right. when you look at the diagram that the NIOSH report has, it's like, you know, it was only a couple steps down and around the corner, it seems. You know, yeah. I wasn't there, so I could be totally off base, but, you know, I try to wrap my head around that stuff and, and see what we're actually teaching is being practical to what we need to do on the fire ground. Have you, have you guys, where you've been, James, Ron, Nathan, have you guys seen, um, and this is, this may be like way, way out there, but have you guys seen guys coming off the rig or going in to work and they already have themselves converted? Uh, no. I have not seen that, um, but when we teach survival to the recruits now, what we tell them is if you are calling a mayday, your conditions allow you, meaning that you're not in a drastic, I'm getting out the window right now type deal. You're in that I'm lost and I'm low on air and I'm trying to find my way out. We tell them, go ahead and convert your waist belt yourself. Yeah. That way it's done. And if you end up being put in that horrible situation that you can't get out of and it comes down to someone else having to find your unconscious body, that is time saved because yeah. it's easier for you to do it. Now, I have not seen anyone uh, come off a rig like that. It's, it's right. hard enough some days to see people come off the rig with their waist belt buckled just to begin with. Uh, <laughs> right on. You know, yeah, and that's, yeah, it's a constant, yeah, laziness versus I look cool versus I uh, just forgot about it. You know, I'll be completely honest. When I switch from the back seat to the front seat, there's so many other things that go through your mind and you have to be able to reach so many things in the cab that I don't buckle. You know, everything is loose until I get out of the cab. I tighten my shoulder straps. I lean back, give them a good tight, and then I, I get out. But I don't do, I do the same thing, James. So I'm out and let everything hang. And you know, some days I told I tell my rookies this when I when I'm working, like, look, my goal is yes, I'm going to get them buckled, but don't take what you see in the first 30 seconds as the way I is yeah. you know my finished product. You may see me running up towards or doing my 360 with my waist belt undone, but by the time I come around from the back side of the house, it's going to be done and tightened up. And we're buckled up to go in. Yeah. Uh, you guys hit on a bunch of good things uh, with packaging, right? I'm more along the lines of the Ron train of thought here, whereas I, I think for so long we have done RIT training is such a checkbox mentality that the product that I see on the fire ground is we have to do these things and they, our guys stop paying attention to what's around them, what's happening. You know, and I see that, and I don't want to go down this rabbit hole yet, but my first, the most obvious one to me is the four-man recon deploying to someone who called a mayday saying that they're burning. And they're taking a, an air pack to them versus a hose line because they are not listening to the mayday because we haven't talked to them about that. We've only trained them in that RIT recon relief uh, extrication platform that you know confined space entry method um so to packaging you know again I, I go by the conditions drive tactics thing right if i go in the front door and they're five feet from the front door or five feet from uh on the level that we're going to bring them out we're going to drag and go um but what ron said about the three steps what's crazy about that when, when, if you look at um, the report that we did at work a few years ago, that year-long study, uh, remembering back to what we saw, we, we had put the unconscious firefighter in the basement of the burn building. So they had to extricate them either up through the hole or up the stairs. And the stairs had a, a, a 90 degree turn about three steps up. And on any time that they did not capture the lower half of the body, typically with a waist belt, um, by one-third to halfway up the stairs, the pack had pulled off their shoulders and their coat was coming up and their bare sec their midsection was exposed of our live victims. And on a few occasions, we had to stop them because they were going to injure our, our role player which was, you know, 
important to us that we were able to continue using live live role players in that unconscious firefighter position because we got feedback from them that you don't get from a mannequin. You know, right. what positions actually hurt you? What positions um, did were the most comfortable for you? And we put that all into the report, which was great because that's the first time that I've heard back from uh, or seen that in a report or in a study where you get some victim feedback. Um, but uh, it doesn't take many steps. Like you were saying earlier, Nathan, you're sitting on the ground and you lift them up. That's your first step. And you're already lifting the shoulder, the air pack off their shoulders. Um, so yeah, for, for me, if I don't see daylight out, you know, within five feet of where I'm at, meaning, and not a window, if it's a window we're, we're packaging, but if I don't have daylight and five feet to the door, we're packaging. Um, and we've started, you know, our recruits start packaging on like day two of SCBA. So by the time we get to writ and survival at the end of recruit school, we barely have to touch it because they have been doing it for the last, uh, 16 weeks. Um, and, and that has really helped when we moved, when that skill got moved up to the beginning, uh, to like SCBA intro versus at the end during RIT itself, we noticed that now they're getting the reps and the sets. And, um, you know, I noticed that maybe two recruit schools ago, because that's when the change happened that I, that I saw. Uh, and I don't, you know, as a, as a field training instructor, when I was at our academy, I don't deal with our recruits very much, only certain parts of their class, one of them being survival and the other one being writ. Um, so it was very apparent to me like, oh man, these, these guys, this class is knocking this skill out of the park. What's changed? And go back and talk to the basic training instructors and like, oh, yeah, the, the skill is done on day two of SCBA now or whatever it is. It's very early. And it, it gives them so much more time, which makes sense, right? You know, they're already there. They're already learning to use their pack. They might as well be practicing that skill set. Right. Because it is. It's, you know, I love that, uh, you know, Ron, uh, very thankful for you putting the number of reps that you did on the rapid packaging strap to get good feedback. Um, and, and by that, I mean either positive or negative feedback. I'm happy that it's positive feedback. but um, you know, we still teach that that's an extra piece of equipment. So the bare right. minimum, you know, that you have a waist belt, that has to be the number one uh, thing that we teach. Um, if you have the exterior, some other pieces of equipment that work well, then great. If they're in your pocket, learn them, know them and use them. But if you don't have them, then, you know, even if you do have them, you still have to be a master at that basic packaging technique. Cause who knows what happens when you pull the door chalk out of your pocket outside to wedge the front door open and the strap fell out and you don't have it, you know, right. you have to be able to fall back on the, the bare minimum. It's like uh, searching with a tick versus searching with hands, you know, or using the hydro hydroram versus the halogen bar. Um, you know, it all falls back to, you have to be very good. You have to be good at the basics. You have to be good at the bare minimum. Right. You know, and, and that's, that's where one thing comes in. I, I really like to show the students, you have more options. There should always be a plan A, B, and C going through your head, yeah. you know, because I find guys, you know, like we talked about getting off the rig, you know, I get out of the front seat too, and I get off, you know, I'm grabbing my tick, I'm grabbing my helmet, I'm grabbing the side of the irons out of the cab behind me. So I'm not really either buckling that waist belt until I get to the door or as I'm walking up to the house. Yeah. It's not because I'm trying to be lazy. I'm trying to be efficient, you know? But, you know, no matter what, we still see guys all the time with their pack, their straps, you know, shortened halfway, and they're, in, you know, tucked behind their pack or, yep. you know, wrapped around the bottle. You know, you see this in pictures all over the internet. It's, it's, it's happening. Yeah. You, know, you can't deny it. It, it, it happens like every day, every day you look at a video of, of a prominent 
city or, or county or jurisdiction and they're good videos and they're doing good work you're like man if you just took that extra five seconds and put your waist right. belt on I could really get behind this and I know people are like oh you're just nitpicking like dude I mean I've had friends that have died in a fire like what it's a very simple thing that that thing ensures that your pack is staying on you um you know I don't uh it's very hard to to be able to reach out and say well what's tied to that if what where's the negative like where's the um because the the people come back and they'll say well show me where that has happened where it's come off of somebody during a, a collapse like you know the it's all rumors but um if you look at the wilmington triple line of duty death um arty uh and you know, not to be uh, the Monday morning quarterback, but her, her pack was ripped off of her during the collapse. And when you talk to people who know them to know that department, they will tell you that she very rarely wore her waist belt. Now um, that's all third party. So that doesn't mean that she wasn't wearing it that day. It just means that that is, you know, the perception that people had because of what they saw many times, but her air pack was ripped off of her during the collapse. And that may be, that might have been the difference there. It, you can't say for sure one way or the other. Um, I mean, we can't, but uh, I know that I would rather ensure that my pack stays tight to me. I know that that thing is what keeps me alive inside. Um, right. Well, question for Nathan, not to cut you off. Nathan, how many, how many statistics, you know, from the, the project mayday is a fall through a floor put them on the spot right now uh fall through the floor 22 percent right now the number one leading cause of mayday 22 so if your pack's not strapped to you well yeah what's going to happen when you go through the floor yeah i don't know i mean i know that it takes an extra couple seconds to do it am i guilty of not have done been, of not doing it in the past sure but uh can we all improve yeah you know, to Absolutely. sit back and say, I'm sure there's pictures of me that I didn't have my waist belt on. Um, but to sit back and say that, you know, well, I haven't changed in the last 10 years. That's crazy. We all do. We all change one way or the other. Right. <clears throat> you got anything on that, Nate? Okay, sorry, uh, uh, well, I've got a few things just maybe wrap this one up before moving on to the next question, but I mean, I, I agree with the whole keeping it simple. I think a big part of, like you touched on, James, on uh, the basics of doing it with just your pack or what's in your pockets, Ron, is huge. Because, again, going back to numbers, we got 93.4% of all Maydays are resolved from the inside. Ritz only get involved 6.6% .6 of the time. So if we're using, if we're relying on equipment that we carry in our Ritz stash, well, it's not going to be there most of the time. So uh, keeping those things simple, making sure everyone's trained on it. Fantastic to hear that the recruits there in Fairfax are, are doing it in recruit school uh, that efficiently. Um, I mean, that's a big thing. I think 1407 should be almost now mandatorily into 1001 uh, because of Don Abbott's stats. I think it would be huge. But anyways, that's a different subject. Um, <laughs> I just think uh, one thing – I'm going to quote something from the Asheville study here because I think it sums up everything we've been talking about quite well, what they found um, and what we've been talking about. And that's just a uh, so direct quote from their conclusion on packaging. The viability of a compromised firefighter is directly affected by packaging. On the surface, one would not assume packaging to be a life-saving action, but our analysis proves otherwise. The act of converting an SCBA in and of itself is not a life and death task. However, it is indicative of a well-prepared writ. When compromised firefighter is properly packaged, brackets SCBA conversion, close brackets, the likelihood of PPE removal or air supply loss is greatly reduced. Packaging also makes transporting the down firefighter easier and more efficient, especially when you have to move up, down, over, and under obstacles and building topography. The SCBA, when properly converted, acts as an integrated drag harness for up to two firefighters and does not increase the compromised firefighter's profile. 
In each evolution where the compromised firefighter was not packaged, bracket 17%, close brackets, the compromised firefighter was not viable when removed. There were two evolutions in which the packaging was completed by the firefighters and that firefighter was not viable. In those two instances, the first instance, the SCBA conversion was disconnected by a subsequent company prior to removal. And on the second occurrence, packaging didn't take place until the 51st minute and the compromised firefighter had already been allowed to run out of air well prior to packaging. So the only two times the packaging actually failed in that whole study, one, the person wasn't viable before they were even packaged because it took air supply too long. And the other one, they were disconnected on during the removal. Uh, they did try a manta mat in that study as well, and it failed fairly horrendously uh, by the sounds of it reading the report. Because um, I know a lot of departments love the manta mat. Um, I think you played with that as well, haven't you, James? Manta mat and impacting. Um, so did that? Did you guys use it? You're you're breaking up a little bit. You're saying the man to man packaging or uh the the mega mover use it in EMS. oh the mega mover. yeah mega mover yeah so yeah. we um so first off nathan what page of that report are you reading from do you know or you uh, i quoted it and printed it off separate it's i i quoted it and printed it off separate on a different okay. piece of paper um but gotcha. it's from the conclusion section of the report so oh, it's, it's at the very end in the conclusions where they talk about packaging. Let me, uh, so I have that report up in front of me right now because it's in my binder of writ reading and it's a great report. Um, when we started putting together our, our study in Fairfax, we, we used this report to help us frame how we wanted to do our study. And we, I used, mm quotations from this report in our findings because of their recommendations that they had. Um, yeah, so you quoted if, several. Uh, if uh, you know anyone that's listening, it's the Asheville Fire Department Report on Rapid Intervention Operations Analysis, and it's from 2015. And if you are looking for it, you can download it from uh, Adapt and Overcome Training's website. It's on our knowledge section of our website. And we will get the quotes page number and put it into the notes on this audio. Um, yeah, we tried the Mega Mover and we used it because, or we, we actually had to force a couple of our crews to use it. We were about halfway through the year and no one had used it yet. And it was something that we were hypothesizing could be awesome, right? It's lightweight, it's folds up, it's easy to use, it's easy to stuff into a pocket or, you know, you know, maybe not a pocket, but it's easy to move into the scenario. Um, so we, we forced a couple crews to use it. And I don't remember how many times, maybe two or three, but each time we used it, it pulled apart. And when you really look at how those mega movers are made, um, they're not, you know, they're made to carry weight, but they're not made to be durable while dragging on the ground. Unlike a reeve stretcher, you know, the reeves is heavy duty for all kinds of things. Um, so yeah, we, we, I'm, I'm happy that we forced a couple crews to use it because it, it gave us the findings we wanted in the opposite of what we were hoping for. Uh, but it gave us the verification that this is not a good tool to use when you're trying to drag a firefighter out of a building. Um, does it mean that if it's the only thing you have, don't try it? No, but it was not successful for us. And I think there's many better options out there. You know, what I took interesting from that report is that I don't try to, remember it word for word and I'm not going to, but basically what it said is if crews using that mega mover, if they didn't train on it prior to using it, it was totally useless for that crew at that time. And that kind of blew my, you know, blew my mind a little bit. It's like, it's just the blanket. You lay somebody on it, you know, you lift up and it's like, 
you think it would be simple, but obviously in lights out conditions or under stress, it, it changes the game, you know, um, kind of opposite of what James experienced. I have a mega mover that I've taken every rip class and we drag somebody, you know, wherever we are at least two or three times to show the students, Hey, this is what this does. And this is how it works. I mean, things got holes where I could punch my hand through it, you know, and it's, it's actually been pretty durable um, for me. That's you good. know I mean? You know, um, but Chris Cummings actually came up with one. I'm trying to remember the name of it. Is that the one you, sh you showed a picture of it a few years ago, yeah. right? It had the cutout for the SCBA in it. Yep. I remember seeing yeah, that on the, your uh, Instagram. Rapid rescue device. And, uh, you know, it's basically a thick tarp, if you will, you know, and it seemed to work a lot better and really manage the firefighter a lot better. Not necessarily the hole for the SCBA, but just the design, you know, and the more rigidness of it. So, gotcha. But it, it's interesting mm -hmm. to see both perspectives of, you know, I have had some success with it, and you guys had, you know, not very much success with it. And, and you know what? Some of our, our problems may come from we were in a burn building. Uh, the burn right. building is concrete floors, concrete steps. Um, where we had our major failures was on the stairs and it yeah. doesn't mean that it uh, you know we saw that they were being torn apart but there's also more than one brand mega mover and the brand that True. we have may not be the brand that you have you know the, I remember and I can't remember which one we used uh, if I dig hard enough I could find it but um, it, it looked different from the mega mover that I remembered from when I first came into the department so it might be that we started buying a very cheap tyvek style mega mover that is basically just two inch webbing you know cheap two inch webbing with some tyvek holding it into a, a mat you know right um, for exactly and that's that's what it was for uh so that might be more of the the conditions that they're being put in you know in the the concrete floor in the burn building you know, sometimes they're smooth and sometimes they're rough. And it depends on that. That actually, it does affect how things move. Um, Absolutely. How, how is your experience with using it to move members up a set of stairs? Um, well, we, we've done it in the burn building, mm -hmm. you know, just, you know, no smoke, no, no fire, yeah. nothing like that. And it was easy because the burn building are the way ours are designed, you know, the stairs are, you know, four feet, essentially, yeah. you're not yeah. in your 30 inch, you know, typical stairway, you know, so we were allowed to, or easy to move guys two by two up the the stairs, yeah. the residential home, we have a lot harder time doing that. Usually it tends to be one at the head, one at the feet. And basically, we're sliding it down that stair. So we, uh, we had the same, um, we were a lot of our problems came from with all of our devices were the stairs where we were dragging a firefighter up the stairs. Um, and the reason for that, what I can just kind of deduce from the things that we watched, you know, the instructors, we had a few thermal imager cameras, um, thankfully that recorded. So we were able to record the crew members in the, in the, zero to limited visibility theatrical smoke that we had for them. Right. Um, and when we were watching these problems unfold on the stairs, like with the mega mover, as they were lifting up the stairs and they get tired, they start dragging more up the stairs and then the firefighter starts sliding out of the mega mover. That yep. seemed to be the case between the times they use the mega mover and the times they use the reeve stretcher. We had a lot of crews uh, if from what I remember, we had a bunch of crews try the Reeve stretcher and that failed miserably for them. Um, and you, you hit on a very good point a few minutes ago about, uh, you know, if the crews were not training on the piece of equipment prior to it, they're not going to do well. And that goes against what a lot of people in the back of their heads think, right? It, it's what we know now though, but what we what we tell ourselves is I'll be able to rise to that occasion. Right. Um, even with things that we use every day, 
right? The reef stretcher, if you're on a, a fairly busy fire EMS crew, you're probably using the reef stretcher once every other day or so, um, just moving someone in and out of their house. But you're not using it on a firefighter, you're using it on a civilian with minimal clothes on usually. And, um, and you're not using it with fire gloves on and you're not using it in zero visibility. Right. Those two or three things, and like you said, Ron, that stress level adds in and it, comp it turns into a complete shit show. Um, we, had, we had a couple crews take a backboard in and try, they wanted to do the face down firefighter on the backboard, yep. but they kept trying to put them on there with the SCBA down. And people are like, well, why were you doing that? Like, well, you know, and there's no real good answer from what they were telling us, but here's the answer. Um, if, if you guys have read uh, Deep Survival, um, I can't remember the author's name right now. I have the book, Lawrence Gonzalez. It's actually right behind me. Yep. Um, Deep Survival is a great book. If you guys haven't read it, get out there, get it. It's 10 or $12 on Amazon, and it takes you through survival stories across uh, all kinds of different things, right? Scuba diving, uh, airplane crashes, being lost in the woods, and they relate to us. Um, the scuba diving ones, he talks about one specifically and they're, you know, they go over their emergency procedures. Um, they go over the four, the emergency procedures before they dive and they'll, they'll tell you like, Oh yeah, if I have this procedure or this emergency, I'll do this, this, and this. The only thing that changes is being in the water 40 feet down and the stress. And when the stress happens, they go, completely haywire and they don't remember the things that they told you 15 minutes ago up in the boat. And that's because we're not training to that stress level. You know, right. we're not incorporating that stress level into our training. And that's, you know, it's, it's new to the fire service in the last five to seven years. We see companies are doing it now. Um, we see that there's, you know, training companies out there that are pushing it. You see stuff at FDIC about it now which is great. Um, but it's been in the military for a long time. It's been in the police, uh, some police departments for a little bit longer than the fire service. Um, but it's accurate and it needs to be done, right? We can't have our, our training can't just be the typical whole line throw ladder. We have to start as our, as our members are getting better and mastering the basics, we have to start throwing in those external factors, those external stressors. The simple thing of a civilian standing in the front yard yelling at them that their baby's trapped inside while they're pulling a hose line, that's easy to do with a role player with one of your adjunct instructors. And that little bit puts a huge amount of stress on that recruit or that firefighter's uh, mind as they're stretching the line, you throw them off their game for a minute and you got to start doing that. Um, right. We have to get away from this closed the loop, clean environment, training environment, and get into the messiness that is our reality so that we can start mastering that from day one, right? And, and get away from the check boxes and uh, incorporate the, the OODA loop, you know, constantly observing our atmosphere and letting you know knowing that it's going to change and we're going to have to make multiple decisions repeatedly no i agree you look at, uh, talking about applying oh, sorry no go ahead nate right. i was just gonna say that just to touch on like you look at just added stress how many people like just going through the entanglement box which is in a wide open room you've blocked them out and they're going through the entanglement box they're already starting to get stressed out a little bit and then their low air goes off and you can physically see them freak out. Like they just freak out. They're still, it's, it's clean air. Everything's fine. They're just blacked out. Like nothing bad can happen to them. They can just reach right. out, take the regular art if they want and cut them out. But just that added stress of being a perfectly clean and clear environment with no visibility. And then knowing what that low air alarm means, people, buckle so when you talk about just adding that stress they're not even ready for that kind of stress right just that simple vibro alert going off or bells going off like i couldn't agree more with that once those basics are mastered we gotta push that 
next level, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. And it's, you know, it's our skills are perishable. It never ends. You, you, 10 years in, 20 years in, you may, it may be easier for you to uh, work in that stressful environment, but we have to be training. You know, it doesn't mean that you're killing it every day, but do something every day. Do something every day to get to, to, to hold the line, as Jocko says. Hold the line. If you're not moving forward, at least you're not moving backwards. Right. I mean, not to go off subject here because we're kind of steering the ship a little bit, if you will. Yeah. You know, like, <clears throat> instead of stretching a hose in a parking lot, like, you know, go to a school on a, on a weekend or something. But, like, change your environment. Don't let your firefighters have to be told or dictated from your boss what to do. They should be able to think on their feet. And I think that's one of our biggest problems. You know, I think guys break my stones all the time. They're like, well, Ritz not needed. You know, Ritz useless. You know, if you learn how to stretch your hose right and put water on fire, Ritz useless. Yeah, Ritz useless. But all these people that are getting caught up in Maydays, they're being helped out by people inside. And if you're Ritz qualified or Ritz trained, you're going to have a better chance to help that person inside even if you're not a part of the RIT crew. Yeah. So having that skill set and knowledge base is going to make you better for everybody. It's, uh, you know, Asheville, back to the Asheville report, they have times in there, um, and, and if I can find one real quick, uh, they, they have, as they I, guess, I know what you're, look, you're looking for, as you're looking it up there, James, I think you're looking for they time everything between a RIT team of four. Here we and, go. Uh, I got it right here, buddy. Trained. There you go. Companies in which 100% of members had graduated technician level RIT training were more efficient than companies which only staffed 75% graduates. Concurrently, congruently, companies staffing 50% technician level training graduates were even less effective. As a result of this analysis, it is determined that it takes an average of, and they're talking about locating a compromised firefighter, but they hit that same statement at every skill set in their thing, whether it's locate, packaging, or extricate, they have the times to show that RIT trained firefighters are faster because they have the practice of those skill sets. And that's, right. I mean, it's simple. Ron, you hit a great point. It's not where you are on the fire ground, meaning are you the company outside or inside? It's the skills that you bring to the table. It doesn't matter who makes first contact with the, the uh, Mayday firefighter. It matters in a sense of what that person is capable of doing to help them, right? Right. I may be on a truck company inside. If we hear a mayday go out for a lost firefighter, well, guess what? I'm searching for victims. That person is a victim now, and we're going to start, Absolutely. you know, after talking and communicating with command, we're going to start moving that way. And if we come to an unconscious firefighter, we are trained to package and remove. I'm not waiting for a RIT team to come in. We become the RIT team. And that's, yep. again, back to the we need the, the – you know, the, the 90s and the early 2000s for RIT did a great thing getting us moving forward. But we, we really hurt ourselves by only looking at one or two studies for like 20 years, right? The Phoenix study Absolutely. was groundbreaking. But that, we based all of our RIT response models off of one study. And that only looked at one type of mayday. It looked at an air emergency with lost firefighters or a lost firefighter emergency with air or air problems. When you're looking at what's happening on our fire ground now, yes, a lost firefighter is one of the top three, I think, still, Nathan. Um, the, the lost yeah, firefighter so still. It's tied for falling through the roof. Yeah, falls through the floor, falls through the roof, and a lost firefighter. So we're still there. But, um, that's one of three things that we need to be looking at. And it's only one of, you know, when I, again, when we, we try and break this down and what we started teaching both at work and with ADAPT is uh, when you're inside, there's three things minus a cardiac problem. There's three things that are going to kill you. Fire, running out of air, or 
heat, air, and trauma. And if you yep. survive the trauma event, meaning you're in a, a collapse and you're pinned and you can't get out, it comes back to the first two, air and heat. So as a RIT team on the outside and as a, on a fire ground in a hole, those are two problems we need to be ready to solve. And we've done a really good job as a, as a uh, fire service practicing for the air emergency, but we're not there yet with the heat emergency. And that's what scares me more because there's no time to react or there's very little time to react to that emergency. Right. And I think we're, we're probably stepping into one of the next questions here when you talk about equipment that we have for RIT. Um, you know, the culture change of having your RIT team with a charged hose line, if the fire ground allows you, if the building type allows you, meaning a house, a townhouse, a, a smaller garden apartment, because when that person goes through the floor, they're either going into a compartment that's on fire or one that's been extinguished. And if it's on fire, we don't have time to go find a hose line and charge it. They need help right now. And, and as a RIT team, remember, it's rapid intervention, not rapid rescue. And intervene means to stop the freaking problem. The <laughs> problem is heat, you know? Right. I mean, uh, first first we're going where I, the Asheville study I love for that reason. I bring it up all the time for the, uh, how they break down the percentages and it's two minutes, just getting rid of one technician, replacing them with a non-technician. It increases the time on average by two minutes just to locate the firefighter. And the big one with that one is the Maydays. So a hundred percent technician team, they were calling a Mayday 20% of the time, 20% of the members. When you went down to a 75% technician team, went up to 38% Maydays for that RIT team going in. But to go on to where we're going here, and, and, and that's our question three, because I know we're gonna talk on this one the most, but uh, we might as well kind of get into it. But for me, I think where guys get caught up on the idea of a hose line and a RIT team is the definition of what RIT is. And, and I think that's where it gets in, is, is when guys get, get upset about the idea of a RIT team having a hose line, they're thinking that the only people on the fire ground that are ever gonna be RIT are the four guys or three guys or five guys assigned RIT by the IC. And the fact is when a Mayday comes in, one thing that does hold true with the Asheville and the Phoenix and everything else is it's gonna take way more than just those four guys to rescue anybody that's in anything more than an easy extrication. Anything moderate to difficult, we're going to need lots of people. And yeah. so, yeah, the team in there that might be the backup hose line, or maybe they were fire attacking. It's one of their members is having a jammer in the fire room. Well, the rest of the team's still in there. Guess what? They're part of RIT now. Anybody involved in that rescue operation is part of RIT. So just by reassigning the backup line to push in and stuff, guess what? RIT has a hose line. Because that backup team's no longer the backup team. They're part of the RIT group that's assigned in this mayday. And your operations division is going to have to sign another backup line to go replace that. But you're going to bump them up and they're part of RIT. It doesn't mean that my four guys with the air pack and all that stuff necessarily are bringing the hose line. But there's another crew immediately assigned to take that hose line in with them. Because they might, like, 93% of all through the floors, fire involvement, right? Leading cause of maydays, 93% fire involvement. If I know this is big on, on you, James, you, you agree we're, we now outnumber them, but uh, <laughs> is, is what, are you, what are you gonna do? You get there, there was a line of you death not that long ago, um, and we were all listening to the audio on that. The RIT team got assigned to go rescue a guy who was overcome by fire on the third floor, and they couldn't get to him because of fire. They couldn't yeah. get up the stairs to the third floor because there was too much fire. It took five minutes or something like that before a hose team was brought to their location so they could get up the stairs, right? Yep. Um, there's going to be situations where, guess what? They can't do anything until a hose line's in place. But I think when you've got anything that's through the floor or people falling through the roof, the two highest percentage of maydays 43 percent of all maydays are encompassed by through the floor and through the roof 70 percent of the time when you go through a roof you land on the rafters well there's probably fire in that attic what caused the sheeting to fail i mean right. 
if you're 70% you're on that rafter, we need a hose line on the top floor while we're pulling ceiling like crazy to pull you out of there unless we can get you from the top. But that, that, that mindset has to change. And, and, and maybe my RIT team gets up there and they can make a quick grab, but 10 seconds behind them, there better be a hose line coming with another company. Um, that it, it just that that problem has to be understood. And I think the base root of the problem and the and why so many people freak out at the idea of RIT with a hose line is we get back to the definition on what the definition of RIT is. And, and I agree, those four or five people, whoever the IC is assigned as RIT, should be moving rapidly into the building, 100%. And that's, we were going to talk about company tools and stuff like that, but I believe strongly that your RIT company, once they're assigned as RIT, they carry their company tools with them on all assignments. You bring your RIT air pack with you and your search line as you do your 360, as you throw ladders, because I want to deploy from anywhere, because we look at all those yep. other stuff. It can take RIT on average three minutes to just enter the structure after a mayday. Well, that's kind of unacceptable. So we need, we can't have that shit on a tarp somewhere. We gotta be able to go from wherever we are. Um, I, I look that's at- That's all part of that. So to jump in just for a second here, you're right, everybody looks at it and like, oh, we need to be rapid. That's what in the name, it says fast. We gotta be fast, that's great. But what's the second word? that crew that made it up to the third floor quickly and can't do anything for five minutes. And now they're calling for a hose line. Well, if you brought one with you, it might've slowed you down by, by a minute, but you're still ahead of the game that you're in right now by four minutes. And that's what right. caps my exactly. ass, man. If that's me calling for help, I, you know, it, 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 that's what I'm scared of because it seems so simple in my head right now. And I think that's because, uh, again, all of our ideas and our, now, our uh, concepts that we have floating through our brains are based on your experiences. And my experiences are, you know, I had a friend of mine die in a garden apartment fire from a rapid fire event. And they could, they, you know, they're not getting hose lines to him. And that's what he needs. And right. it goes back to, you know, at first you're sitting here like, oh man, you know, all these other problems. There were, there are a ton of problems on that fire ground and the, the least of which, you know, only one of them was that we didn't get, they didn't get a line up to that floor. But um, what is the mayday? If, if the mayday is heat, there's only one solution to that. And that is water. If the, and the way I look at it, Nathan, when you're saying take the rip pack with you, well, if I'm a, if I'm a fully, uh if if i'm writ and we're, i'm doing my lap i i don't have my guys take the air pack with us because the way i look at it right now is if we are going into an air emergency and i am going to try and be rapid i'm starting with a crew where we have full bottles if and again it's structure dependent right if we're going into one of our large uh or our most our highly per, highest percentage of fires which are residential fires, uh, townhouses and garden apartments and single families, I'm not as concerned about uh, running out of air fast in there um, because there's so many exit points. Now, can that bite me in the ass? For sure. But right. that's the decision I made. If we're going into a strip shopping center, different story. We're taking it with us. Um, but again, I feel like as a writ coming in, we have air with us in my bottle. Now, is it enough? Not enough, but is it enough to make somewhat of a change? If you have that true, we get in, we find them, they're unconscious, but there's no heat emergency and we're gonna protect, you know, we're gonna hang out for a couple minutes and try and get a, a, a smoother extrication. Cool, everybody slow your breathing down, slow your heart rate down. We're in a protected space. You know, we're going to, we're going to call for more help and we're going to keep this guy alive and we're going to start slowly moving in the direction to get out. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Can we, can we take it back even further than that though? Like, yeah. you know, my thing is for the guys that I, I want on my team with me is I want thinking firefighters. Absolutely. Right? So like if you get a mayday out and your mayday says it's hot in here and I got fire. My boss, or if I'm the you know the boss at the time, or senior man, whatever you want to call it, I'm charge of that routine. 
you need to take that into your consideration and be proactive there, you know? Absolutely. Rip it to command. I need another hose line now or, you know, divert that hose line to here or something like that. We need to have these guys thinking and, and saying what they need. You know, sometimes we need stuff and we don't ask for it, True. you know? Yeah. And it's like, what are you, you going to yell at me because I asked for a hose line? Yeah. Fine. Yell at me, but I need this. Yeah. This needs to be done. So, you know, having those thinking firefighters, I think is probably just as important as having skilled firefighters and having, you know, strong firefighters, if you will. True. It, I mean, I, I couldn't complete or couldn't agree more, Ron. Uh, I think we have to, in some places have, but this robotic training environment where they're going to be good at skills, but they don't even know what's happening around them. That's, that's not the right training environment. There has to be a mix. And we have to tell them from the beginning that I want your brain turned on. I want right. you thinking. Um, I want you to be respectful of your crew. And you're not just, you know, overrunning people with, with words just because uh, you're, you're not filtering what's happening in your head to your mouth. But you need to be running through that OODA loop the entire time you're responding to the fire on the fire, cleaning up from the fire and going back home, you need to constantly be evaluating your decision your what's happening around you. And then, uh, you know, making some mental mo notes to ask your boss about at the end of the day or the senior firefighter, if you're a new guy, like, Hey, we did this at this point. Why did we do that? Oh, great point. Let's sit down and grab a cup of coffee, get some water and hydrate. And we're going to talk for 30 minutes on, what happened on this fire so exactly. we get the most out of it get the most learning out of it um i i after the writ calls we've gone to um whether we're a team being sent to another town or you know if we've been deployed on an actual call i still at the end of the call i'll always take pictures of the fire scene at least all as many sides of the building as i can yeah you know and then I'll go home and I'll write down a quick note, you know, of what we did that the best I could remember. So yeah. this way, when we do have our critique, like, this is what happened. This is why we did this. This is why we did this. Oh, we forgot to do this. we got to pay attention to that next time, you know, because we don't see everything. But I think having a solid critique at the end of the game, you know, and discussing things like, you know, like, why didn't we bring this tool and why did we bring that tool? You know, I know Nathan wants to move into tools but for me i'm starting to think in the process of having my officer being less hands-on and more of the uh environment person you know utilizing that tick and maybe yeah. having a halligan yeah. or her you know and really paying attention to the crew operating and the conditions around us but it's, it's decentralized command all the way from the top down, whether it's from the incident commander to the crews and then from the crew boss to the firefighters on the crew, you know, we have a task that we've been given and I expect our people, our experienced and knowledgeable people to be able to come up with some of their own plans. And I shouldn't, as a boss, shouldn't have to dictate to them every step of the way, you know, obviously from a newer person to a, a seasoned person that changes a little bit. But, um, you know, and you have to adapt to that, you know, and, and handle your crew, um, correctly for, you know, who they are, but, but absolutely, man, I, if there was one thing that you could, uh, or I could not, I guess not change, but just ensure it, that my firefighters had, it wouldn't be one skill set. It would be the, the ability to use critical thinking. That's it. it. You know, we can, we can rep, we can hit skills all day long, but if they can't think critically, that's very hard to teach. Um, especially for us, you know, we're a bunch of dumb firemen. We're a bunch of dumb firefighters. I'm not a psychologist. I can teach you, we can go train all day, but I can't teach you the mental skills you need to think critically. I can just tell you, you need to do it. You know, I don't know how to do that. Right. Nice. All well, it's right. good fellas be safe brothers you too guys hey i like uh yeah. instead of be safe i like be hard to kill there you go yeah
Uh, that's another topic, another discussion for another day. Well, Nathan's got some podcasts to listen to, so. True. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Have a good night, guys. How to carve night. a pumpkin. <laughs> night. Good night. night. Thank you for listening to the Rit Nerds podcast, brought to you by Rit Ops, Prepare for Rescue, and Adapt and Overcome Training. Stay tuned for more episodes to pop up as we're planning on dropping one to two new episodes every month.